From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shep, budget and appropriations reporter. And we've got a lot to talk about today, Jen, because they've now come up with this bipartisan infrastructure deal, uh, about $579 billion in new spending. That's only about a quarter of the money that President Biden wanted, but he says he'll take it. But with a major caveat, we're going to have a huge juggling act to deal with this summer. How's this going to play out, Jen? Yeah, I think the next few steps that the House, Senate, and White House take on this bipartisan infrastructure deal, as well as the more left-leaning sort of Democrats-only infrastructure package is going to be really fascinating to watch. We've heard from Democrats that they have been planning a sort of two-track approach, uh, and we've heard that for several weeks, right, where they were going to do a bipartisan infrastructure bill, and then they were going to do that reconciliation package that they can pass in the Senate with only Democratic support. But yesterday, we got really clear indications from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and President Joe Biden about how they plan on getting this done. And essentially, it sounds like the House is going to hold on to the bipartisan infrastructure plan after the Senate passes it sometime during the July work period. And then once the Senate is able to send over that reconciliation package sometime later this year, the House will then vote to clear both of those measures, um, possibly on the same day, potentially even in the same vote series. And so that was a really new, interesting bit of detail from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi yesterday. And then President Biden actually sort of doubled down later in the day, saying that he will not sign the bipartisan infrastructure package until he also receives the reconciliation package, which could be up to $6 trillion in spending on a lot of core Democratic priorities. And so exactly how this plays out during the next few months, especially with the August recess intact as of now, I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch, especially in terms of Republican support in the House and Senate for that bipartisan infrastructure package. Yeah, that was the most striking thing to me, Jen, was I've never before seen a president, maybe there has been, but I I certainly don't remember one, come out and endorse a bipartisan deal and at the same time say, but I'm not going to sign it if I also don't get this other package. I mean, that shows the bind that Democrats are in um, because they really are not satisfied by this bipartisan deal. They think it's too small And so they're trying to tie it to this larger reconciliation package of trillions of dollars. And they say both have to come together. Both have to be voted on in tandem, I think, are the words Biden had used. Um, And that shows the bind they're in because Democrats have such slim majorities in both the House and Senate with almost no votes to spare. And they're trying to link these two packages. And that's not going to be easy to do. And As soon as Biden said that, uh, it outraged a key player to get any bipartisan deal done, which is the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, who then blasted Biden on the Senate floor for threatening to veto this bipartisan deal he just endorsed. 
I don't know if that bodes well for getting bipartisan cooperation on this on this package done through the Senate. Yeah, I think this is going to be really interesting to watch because on this bipartisan infrastructure package, we have seen that um, 11 Senate Republicans have come out publicly and said that they support this bipartisan deal. And of course, if you get all 50 Senate Democrats to support this package as well, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell cannot really stop its advancement. And if Senate Democrats stay united as well on a follow-on reconciliation package, there's not much he could do to stop that process either. Um, And so I thought his comments yesterday were really interesting um, in that he didn't necessarily criticize the elements of the bipartisan proposal that several of his own members are involved in negotiating and he didn't really criticize those members themselves. He more criticized Biden and Pelosi for saying that they really wanted to make sure that in addition to getting this roughly $579 billion bipartisan infrastructure proposal that deals with more traditional infrastructure like roads, bridges, that type of thing, that they also wanted to get this second package um, that deals more with human infrastructure and programs like universal pre-K, free community college, paid family and um, medical leave, and those types of programs um, into law. And so I think right now, the big question moving forward is sort of what that reconciliation package looks like. Uh, because while we have heard from Senate Budget Chairman Bernie Sanders that he would like to write uh, about $6 trillion in reconciliation instructions into that package, he said yesterday that obviously he has to work with the other 49 Senate Democrats to get agreement on that budget resolution and eventually that reconciliation package. And so, you know, whether or not more moderate Senate Democrats like West Virginia's Joe Manchin or Arizona's Kristen Sinema can uh, agree on that number remains to be seen. I think it's going to be some very tricky negotiations uh, for Democratic leadership in the next few weeks. Yeah. And I really think the, the, the key thing here is, does this effort at linking the two packages uh, end up alienating too many Republicans so that they lose support for the bipartisan deal. Um, I just thought those words from McConnell yesterday were very telling. He's, he's a very careful speaker. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's very, he, he chooses his words carefully and he, he it tends not to speak, but when he does speak, he chooses his words very carefully. And for him to blast the president the way he did to me, signals some real unease now about the process going forward and whether Republicans really will be in a mood to cooperate to get a bipartisan deal done. We'll see. They have 11 Republican senators behind them on this bipartisan deal, at least. Um, That alone, theoretically, could be enough with all the Democrats, I suppose, to get the bipartisan deal through. but but who knows, because because tensions have been at a, a boiling point for months anyway, and this, this effort to link these two packages, you know, linking this to a package that Republicans really oppose, they say is way too costly, trillions of dollars that they're not prepared to support, is going to be a tough sell. Yeah, I think that's a possibility. Um, But one of the things that Democrats have done here with their process and their sort of two-track plan 
is give themselves sort of a fallback option that's not actually fully a fallback option. But if for some reason, when Senate Democrats bring this bipartisan infrastructure bill to the floor during the July work period, which of course they have yet to draft, which could be a fun process as well. Um, if they cannot get through that 60 vote cloture threshold, if Republicans do filibuster this in the Senate, Democrats have said all along that they will just move this, these elements of this bipartisan infrastructure package into the reconciliation process and then advance that. And so really it sounds like Democrats are moving forward to advance this legislation at some point this year. It's really just an issue now of whether these Republicans who have negotiated with Democrats in the Senate and the Biden administration want to change their minds on this package as it goes forward. And I think that's going to be something that is decided in the next few weeks as they take what is seems like a bit of a broad outline, especially on the whole pay-for element of this, and put it into legislative text, which as we know from you know, a year plus of very large, sometimes complex COVID emergency spending bills, uh, you can get stuck on certain legislative language at the last minute. And so that is also a very real possibility with this bipartisan infrastructure package. Yeah, and we should talk a little bit about how they decided to pay for this bipartisan package because it was some creative accounting here, I think. You know, remember, uh, Biden wanted to pay for his infrastructure uh, through corporate tax increases, basically, and some stepped-up tax enforcement. Uh, Republicans hated that. They, they opposed any reversal of their 2017 tax cuts, and they were pushing for user fees like a fee on electric vehicles and maybe indexing the gas tax to inflation, those kind of things, along with tapping some unspent COVID relief money. Um, you could argue this, the way they ended up financing this is a little more along Republican lines than the Democrats wanted because they're tapping a lot of the unspent COVID relief money in this as much as $125 billion, I think. So a lot of this is paid for from that COVID money that Democrats really didn't want to touch. And then there's some, a lot of fancy accounting here. They're, they're, they're pumping new money into the IRS claiming they'll get $100 billion worth of new revenue through tougher tax enforcement. And they're resorting to, to this so-called dynamic scoring issue, which is assuming that all this new infrastructure money is going to generate so much more economic activity that they're going to get new revenue. Um, they're counting on $58 billion in new revenue that way. There's a lot of creative accounting going on uh, and public-private partnerships uh, which basically means tolls, um, which might cause Biden a little problem because tolls are paid by people who make less than $400,000, uh, which was his promise not to raise taxes on those who make less than $400,000. So there are all these issues that are going to come up too. Um, who knows whether enough lawmakers are going to be satisfied with this kind of financing to, to win enough support for this bipartisan deal. Yeah, and I think obviously we don't have bill text yet, which means we don't have a score from the Congressional Budget Office detailing exactly how much the Congressional Budget Office expects these pay-fors to garner uh, during the 
10-year budget window. And so I think that's going to be another thing that could impact vote tallies and the narrative among Republicans and Democrats on this bipartisan infrastructure bill going forward. Uh, Because, you know, there is an agreement. They did announce it at the White House, but there's still a lot of steps before enactment and a lot of places where Republicans, Democrats, or both parties could get tripped up on this bipartisan proposal. Right. And then Democrats are counting on reconciliation to do the rest, which avoids a Republican filibuster. But that's not a guarantee either. We've done some new reporting. You know, Democrats have such slim margins that even a couple of defections in their ranks could sink the thing. And we've already identified, I think, two House Democrats who are refusing to go along. Yeah, our colleague Lindsay McPherson did reporting yesterday, um, and she spoke with Oregon uh, Representative Kurt Schrader, and he said that he is probably not going to be voting for the budget resolution that is needed in order to get to a reconciliation package. Um, and so that was, you know, a pretty interesting development in the House. Democrats, uh, I believe, can only lose four of their own members on something that's a party line vote and still have it approved in that chamber. And so this is going to be something that Democratic leadership in the House is going to be tracking very closely in the coming weeks, because in order to get this budget resolution adopted in the House and Senate to unlock that budget reconciliation process, Democratic leaders need all 50 Senate Democrats on board and nearly all of their House Democrats on board as well in order to get this process going. And so I think that's going to be key as well. And that could potentially lead this reconciliation instruction figure that we've heard of about $6 trillion that could come down pretty substantially. Right. Because, first of all, it's going to come down a little anyway if they get this bipartisan deal done because they'll subtract that spending from the $6 trillion total. Um, but beyond that, with, with every vote at stake here, they have to cut a lot of side deals to get this thing through. And if you've got too many people queasy about so much spending, they're going to have to cut it back to win enough votes There's some hard math that has to be done here to see how much of this can fly. Uh, And it's just a tricky juggling act. None of it is guaranteed. So we will see how this plays out. July is going to be extremely busy as both chambers, we think, try to pass a budget resolution for this reconciliation package. And the Senate takes up this bipartisan bill that Democrats hope they can pass. We will be covering it all for you. Just a quick programming note, we are going to be, the podcast is taking a break next week for the July 4th recess, but we will be back the following Friday and pick all this up again. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. 
Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.